Hey, welcome to Bulls Gold. I'm Edward Schuler, joined by Salim Suderwala. Salim, how's it going today, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Had a good weekend. Uh, watched hoops pretty much all weekend long, and today was just another day at work. So can't complain, really. No doubt. That's good to hear. Yeah, basketball is is in full swing right now. We've had a lot of good games in the bubble, and we're almost on that playoff swing right now. So uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but uh, joining us to talk about the Bulls from ESPN 1000, a host and producer, Chris Black. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Edward, Salim, what's going on, guys? I'm happy to do it. What's up? It's going well, going well. It's uh, it's, it's nice to, like I said, meet you finally. I tweet at you, at you pretty much all day, every day, and I know you like that. So, <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. We gotta have get, we gotta have people uh, tweeting us and uh, promoting the brand. So, absolutely, I love it. No, definitely, it's funny. Like we we joke about the the Black and Abdallah hive. So. That's like, I think it's like five of us. <laughs> hey, strong. That's a strong five, though. I, I love it. It is. It is. We're consistent. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, Chris, uh, the Bulls aren't in the bubble, but it seems every week or every other week, there's a headline that comes out that angers Bulls fans somehow. And the reoccurring headline is, why haven't the Bulls fired Jim Boylan yet? And four days ago, we got an article from Joe Cowley of the Chicago Sun-Times, and it basically laid out why the Bulls have not moved on from Jim Boylan and even suggested that Jim Boylan is not going to be fired. And of course, it cited financial concerns uh, due to uh, some uncertainty around the league because of coronavirus and what's going to happen next season. And of course, we have been given this uh, constant excuse that the Bulls want to evaluate Jim Boylan and the coaching staff for some unspec- unspecified amount of time. They want to be fair. What do you make of all of this regarding Jim Boylan and how it's being managed under ownership and the new regime of Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley? You know, what I make of it is I thought heading into this summer um, and with the moves that were made, I thought Bulls fans were going to get finally – a fresh breath of uh, fresh air with, with the way this organization was going to be run. Um, I feel like many of us, uh, if you're a Bulls fan and you love this team and you wish for them someday to get back to the nineties Bulls where they were the hottest ticket in the NBA. The one thing we wish is that they operate as if they were an elite franchise when many times over the last 20 years, they have not done that. And you can say whatever you want about the brand name of the Chicago Bulls. But the one thing that is so true is when you look at the elite franchises in the NBA, in many aspects, if you remove the Jordan years, the Bulls, that franchise comes up way short. So I thought what was going to happen with Carter Chauvis and with Eversley and with this new um, front office coming into town was finally, as Bulls fans, we've gotten over the hump of this franchise toiling in the middle of the Eastern Conference. And finally, they could kind of take their claim to being one of the elite franchises in the East, which I think they should be. There's no reason why the Miami Heat should be ahead of the Chicago Bulls in the Eastern Conference. They run that franchise really well, but they should not be better than the Bulls. The Toronto Raptors, the Raptors should not be better 
than the Chicago Bulls. And so when you look around the Eastern Conference and you look at the namesakes that you have, the Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks should really be right there. And we could talk about the Knicks issues at a different time as well. But so with all of this kind of coming into it, I think most thought that ownership finally realized that the old way of doing business was not going to get it done going forward. And I think Bulls fans were rejuvenized and excited and looking forward to what that meant. The problem is, Edward, is that what we've seen now is because of money, it seems as if going forward, that new way that we were kind of hoping and dreaming and thinking about may be kind of uh, put out and, and kind of uh, pushed into the background because of the losses due to COVID-19 and the Bulls not participating in the NBA bubble, let alone hosting any basketball games this uh, to end the regular season or even into next year. You know, we don't know what next season the NBA is going to look like. So the fact that we may have Jim Boylan here as our head coach, I think is extremely disappointing. And it's extremely disappointing to all of the Bulls fans who were so excited for this new era to begin for Bulls basketball. Yeah, and to your point, like we, we're like again left guessing on why exactly. You know, we're wondering, well, is it Arturis uh, uh, uh really evaluating him, or is it again because of the COVID situation? That obviously the COVID situation happened when they had already made the changes in the overalling the front office, but knowing that there might not be fans next year kind of came about later because nobody really, at the time we didn't expect this to really blow up to the point where we thought we're going to just be locked into our houses for like the remainder of the year and, and potentially losing seasons next season. So I get that part, but knowing that again, like you pointed out, the bulls just have so many uncertainties as far as who's really making this the decisions. And, that was a problem last time too. With even with Gar Pax, we had the two-headed monster who was making the decision. And is this an ownership move or are Gar and Pax really involved? And it's a shame that a guy like Karnashevis is coming in, and who knows what he was promised? He he was supposedly promised full autonomy, but now he's not being that promised that. And you have to wonder if he's also having second thoughts as well, and and if he would be like just really annoyed and, and angry about that, about the situations that he's been put in. Yeah, that's all fair. And Salim, the one thing that I kind of continue to think about is my opinion on Jim Boylan over the course of this pandemic has changed. You know, originally I thought like, listen, my opinion on him as a coach hasn't changed. My, my opinion on how the bulls were kind of handling the situation changed recently. And this is why. Up front, I understood. You take the new gig, you you have an uncertain um, kind of summer on the horizon. There were rumors of this loser bracket, uh, secondary bubble that the NBA was thinking about doing. Uh, would the Bulls be included in the original NBA bubble? There there was there was some stuff up in the air. And if you were going to get into a situation where you were like Phoenix and you were getting in, included an invitation to the NBA bubble, you need a head coach to, to kind of coach that, right? So like at the start of the pandemic, I kind of thought to myself, okay, I wish they would have 
fire Jim Boylan now, but I kind of get why they're waiting. The longer this has gone on, I don't get it anymore. And I've completely changed my opinion on it because this is why. Let's fast forward this uh, into this offseason, right? So this season's going to end in September. They're immediately going to jump. Uh, no, in, in October, right? It's going to mm-hmm. end like the second week of October. Yeah. Uh, they're going to jump right into the NBA draft and then right into the offseason. And then the goal is to play basketball to start the new year. So like Christmas is going to be opening day or somewhere around then. They're going to try and get this started. Well, last week, Chris Mannix from SI was reporting that there are people in the NBA bubble who think that the only way to have basketball in 2021 is to have another bubble. Thus, if you are the Bulls and you are looking to evaluate your coach, how the hell are you going to evaluate Jim Boylan if you're one of one of the teams say like say they do this and they they do like some kind of pool play or they they do some kind of round robin to figure out who the playoff teams are for this next bubble how will you be able to actually uh, look at Jim Boylan and figure out which type of head coach he is in this situation to me you had to make the move at the start of the pandemic because of what you have coming in front of you which is the unknown you can't just let Jim Boylan be the head coach just because you you just decided not to do anything. It's crazy to me that we have gotten to this point and he's still the head coach because we all know if you watch basketball, if you watch Bulls basketball, he's not the right guy. Yeah, his decision-making is horrible. The players don't like him. You're seeing guys come out and no one's really giving him a word of confidence. And at, at, and at worst, you're seeing guys like Daniel Gafford flat out just trashing him. That's... I mean, how, how much, how can you bring that guy back? That's, that's where we're at. Well, right. And you know, like I was told back in April that uh, if he is still here and the bulls get the free agency, that free agents aren't going to want to sign here. And to me though, the entire reason you make the switch from guard packs to a new front office is so finally we can start attracting some free agents to come play for the Chicago bulls. Now, you're going to get critics who are going to say, well, you know, you don't free agents signing with your team are is not the only way to win in the NBA, which I agree with. But then that means you have to be great at drafting. Garpacks weren't great at drafting to begin with in the last 10 years anyway. So, so if you're bringing in a new regime and Mark Eversley, who has connections to major top line talent, including Nike representatives, I think that the, the idea is to be desirable on the free agent market and not turning your team off to free agents because you decided to kick the can down the road with Jim Boylan. See, I'm like you, Chris, while all of this has been going on, I haven't really paid it much mind or energy because of what's, you know, the circumstances, right? It's a pandemic. Mm-hmm. They might go to a second bubble. Fine. Whatever, whatever. And I, I've even said excuses like, well, they can't really talk to any of the coaches that they want to. I mean, who who knows how the interview process would be? Would like okay, fine. But right now, I'm at the standpoint where I think it's easy to forget that ownership did not make this decision because like John Paxson and Gar Foreman aren't here. Well, John Paxson still is. He's on the uh he's an advisor, but 
Foreman wasn't let go because of results. Paxson doesn't have his role because of a lack of results. It took John Paxson going to Jerry Reinsdorf and saying, hey, we should go in a different direction. So in essence, and John Paxson tried to do this before, John Paxson tried to fire himself, what, 2007 was it, or 2008? And he got promoted. He then effectively did it this time and said, hey, we got to go a different direction. I'm out. And now he's on the, he's an advisor. So I wonder how much ownership is really into this because they didn't decide this direction. If John Paxson didn't go to Jerry Reinsdorf, John Paxson still has a job. He's still running things. Gar Foreman is still GM, right? So they they took this situation because it was forced onto them because of John Paxson. And to me, it feels like they are not fully committed to the direction that we are in. And they are still acting as if, okay, Jim Boylan was our guy from jump. He should still be our guy now. And John Paxson wanted Jim Boylan to stay and he's an advisor. So, so there, there's still questions of, okay, is John Paxson still like recommending this to Jerry Ryan's or like, there's so many different things going on, but I, I just wonder how into this ownership really is because you talked about brand you talk about free agency and i i wouldn't want to play in chicago (laughs) right now given the current circumstances like i i don't want to play for jerry reinsdorf i mean especially after you watch the last dance documentary too and you see how they treated players back then and you wonder how much has really changed and then you look at how they treated uh derrick rose and i mean the stories with dang and and the stuff with noah like they have so much dirt and it's just like, how self-aware are they that they need to be fully committed to this to make it work? Well, I'll say this. I know that those reports were out there. And I know that uh, a few people have reported that this was John Paxson's idea. Mm-hmm. Listen, guys, if the embarrassment that took place over All-Star Weekend didn't happen, I don't think we would be where we're at right now with this franchise. So like there could be the storyline that uh, Pax fell on the sword and that's all in good and everything. Uh, Let's be real about it. Uh, The ownership group was losing money because butts were not in seats at the United center that caught their attention. And the bulls were a national embarrassment. The weekend that the league was here in our town, And all of the conversation around the Bulls and around the NBA that weekend was about how embarrassing this Bulls franchise has become. So those reports could be true. From what I've kind of heard behind the scenes and including being at All-Star Weekend and all the different events and and talking to different people in the league uh, as that weekend unfolded, it seemed like to me uh, Michael Reinsdorf had hit like a wall where he was fed up with the way perception about the organization was nationally. And it all came to a head that weekend. And that's why they started to uh, do the feelers on trying to find who find out who was interested. If a position were to come open, who would be some of the names Um that's back when we heard about Buchanan with the Pacers 
Uh, that was a name that uh, I believe they were reaching out to that weekend. Obviously, uh, Karnaschovich was involved. You know, there were some names around the league. The, the, the Bulls were trying to find out behind the scenes on who wanted a part of this uh, rebuilding process. So, you know, the Paxton stories, sure, maybe it was his idea, grand idea to move into the background and let someone else try and win with this franchise because I know he cares. Uh, he's always been nice to me, and I have nothing personally against him. I just would like to see the Bulls win. So, like, it's cool. Like, if he realized that he couldn't get it done anymore and he wanted someone else to try and do it, uh, more power to him. But I think it had more to do with the Bulls fan and not going to the United Center and the ticket sales decreasing and the empty seats at the United Center, that was embarrassing for the Reinsdorfs. And then you add in that the showcase weekend of the entire NBA season was in our great city, and the event was incredible, and there were no bulls to be found. Uh, we had Obama on video. We had Jordan on video. Uh, we had a few bulls in different little places uh, leading up to the events, but in the all-star game, there were none to be found. And that was embarrassing. And that was the talk of the city and especially the league that weekend. And I think that really pushed uh, the snowball down the hill to create an avalanche of change. Um, so Edward, like, like I get that those stories were out there about packs, but I don't think any of this happens unless they were embarrassed all-star weekend, because I think that had a major impact on the Reinsdorfs. And I think the, the Bulls fan finally had their voice heard because the butts that were not in seats at the UC, I, I can tell you 100%, the missing dollars that those butts would bring into the United Center were certainly felt. So, I mean, and given that, doesn't it feel even weirder that they're, in a sense, half-assing what they yes yes totally by, by not getting no, rid I totally of agree. Yeah. I totally agree with you because you you had enough urgency to change because of the pressure that was mounting because of the embarrassment and because of the lack of seats. But like that's where play this out to next year in 2021. Will the Reinsdorfs even have the ability to care whether or not they have empty seats? Chances are they're going to have empty seats no matter what, right? Mm. Yeah. So, so like if the Bulls fan is upset, next year it doesn't matter. They can go blank off. You know what I mean? Because like to the Reinsdorfs, they're not going to get money for the seats because fans won't be allowed to go to NBA games probably unless we, what, we get a vaccine in the next two months? You know, so like do they – did the – did the pandemic buy them an extra year where they didn't have to make a move on Boylan? And that's why they're kind of taking this path. I don't know. Yeah. Something, another thing I've been wondering about lately. So we know Jim Boylan makes about what 1.7 million on his contract. And we're, we're finding out that the, like the coaches that they're like, the take flares on and, and interest on, I got guys like Adrian Griffin, um, and Madoko, and I think maybe Kenny Atkins has been mentioned. There's not been a lot of names mentioned overall, but if they go with one of the more unexperienced ones, normally those guys get started off like at $3 million or so. But we also heard this was back in March, 
April-ish or when they made the moves, actually, right after the rumor came out, Rick Carlisle was like, stay away from Chicago. Going there is, you know, poison pill for coaches. So I wonder if they if they went out and said, okay, let's let's see who would be interested coming here. Okay, well, it's not going to take three million to get Adrian Griffin and Emodoka. It might take five, six million to get them here because we have that bad reputation. Now this pandemic happens, and Jim Boylan's contract we'll have to eat, and then another six million. That's seven, eight million dollars. That when we're not going to have fans in the seat. They're getting scared of that, maybe. I, have you thought about that? Maybe that's a possibility. But Salim, they've paid off other coaches. They have, but not. You no, know, like but they, they, they got the money. Like I agree with you. I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Know, think, it, sorry, I'm not. I think, also. Oh, sorry. I also ahead. think that, um, like Adrian Griffin, has been an assistant for so long that I don't think he would say, "No, I'm going to pass." on a job like this because it's not seven mil a year, you know, like that, that's the thing with these. Cause like, think of it this way, right? Kenny Atkinson is rumored because he's had a job before Tom Thibodeau got the Knicks job. He's failed before, right? Like we can all agree what took place with the Timberwolves was a failure and he got a job. So like, once you get a job, chances are you're going to get a second and a third and you're going to get chances to make that money. So I think like if they made a move, I don't think it would be a situation where people would say, no, I don't, I don't want that Bulls job because it may be on the lower end of pay in the NBA. Now, you know, could you get Doc Rivers? No, you're not getting Doc no. Rivers. Well, they don't want Or, or Rick Car- Carlisle at that. Like Carlisle's not coming here. But like I think um, – you know, to get a guy who, who's getting his first gig, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, and I guess I wasn't really making an excuse for them. I was just saying that could be the thought process, and we know how cheap this organization can act. Like when we when they're selling uh, draft second round draft picks for three point five million dollars. Easy, easy. They don't like you talking about that. Yeah, but I mean, they do. Yeah, from, from experience, I can tell you guys on this podcast, they do not like when you bring up that they sold that draft pick. I'm just letting you know. I know, but it, letting you know, it, it's funny though. But like, that's what they do, and then and this and for them, I know they've they've collected revenue the last ten years. They've been high as far as the net revenue, when you look at that, they're usually 30, 40, 50 million every year that they're coming away with in their pockets. So for them to obviously make an excuse now, oh, well, we're going to be short nine figures or whatever. It's like, dude, first of all, you don't know the actual numbers yet. You're making that up. The the actual financials haven't been presented. So you're just completely guessing. So trying to set up a scenario that where you can make an excuse to cheap out on it. Well, well, think of it this way, right? This this is mind-blowing to me. They're the one team during the shutdown in the pandemic that had a source of revenue. And why is that? Yeah. Because people were buying Bulls merchandise in April and May. And why were they doing that? Because of Jordan. (laughs) Because of a stupid documentary that was airing on ESPN. And the Bulls were making money off of that. And they say that they don't have any money. No other team in the league had a documentary getting six shares on ESPN television in May. They're the only team. 
right? Like, and, and for like two months, people were buying Bulls gear because why? Because it's awesome. So like, you're telling me the, the last dance airs and people are buying more gear, which is direct money right into your pockets, yet you can't fire Boylan because you're worried about money? Get out of here. That's nuts. I, I always <laughs> say, Jordan, this argument alone is the reason why Jordan is still the GOAT because he hasn't played for a franchise for, what, 15 years, and he's still he's still carrying them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, what what's the difference between the Bulls and the Charlotte Hornets if you remove Jordan? Yeah. No, there's no difference. I mean, the Bulls have really accomplished nothing. In fact, you, if you did that same quiz with the Milwaukee Bucks, I could argue that the Bucks have a better history because at least they had Lou Alcindor and they won a title in 71. So, I mean, like, you know, you remove Michael Jordan and you don't really have a whole lot with this team. So you got to give credit to where it's due. That's yeah. what that's what makes the lack of urgency so so frustrating because, as you mentioned, without Michael Jordan, there's periods of what that one conference uh, finals appearance where they lost four one to Miami, and yeah. I mean, not really much else. And it, it's also frustrating because you have a big market team that does not have the self awareness to be a big market team and to make moves like that. We always talk about like you mentioned the Knicks earlier, and the Knicks are are awful. They're just as bad as the Bulls, if not worse. But one thing I always say about the Knicks and James Dolan, and granted, James Dolan is not a great owner, but they at least try different things. Even though it's always the same result because their ownership is not very good, they do try different things to try and get out of that, and they aren't afraid to spin like a big market team. And that is the one thing that I've always slightly envied about the Knicks is that man I wish Jerry Reinsdorf would just be open to trying new things all the time just to just to give us a feel of a big market team that will do whatever it takes to get out of this and that brings me to this if they're going to keep Jim Boylan next season we have a new regime we have this talent on this uh, roster Zach Levine, Larry Markkinen, Wendell Carter, Kobe White uh, what may have you but are you effectively wasting another year? Because we all know Jim Boylan is not a good head coach. Are they just effectively wasting another year by just saying, all right, bring all of it back. Let the same guy run thing. Like what is the, what is the strategy if Jim Boylan does return next season and what should we really expect? Uh, To be honest, I don't know because I, I think you could actively critique the development of some of the players underneath Boylan. So, like, if you are just running back the same roster, hoping that they grow into something, you know, Lowry Marketing and his step back has been very disappointing. Now, me saying that is not news or, or a hot take to anybody because we all see it. And he should be shooting more three-pointers. They should be running that pick and pop with him at the top of the key. And they should be scoring more times than not with Levine and Markkinen in a two-man game like many other teams in the league utilize to their advantage. For some reason, Markkinen just kind of floats about up top. He doesn't really know where he's supposed to be and where he's supposed to be impactful on the court. And I think that's something that goes directly back to the coaching staff. Kobe White, I mean, think about it. In the games that he played well, it was because Jim Boylan – 
begrudgingly put him in a starter role or a role where he had the ball in his hands. Like that shouldn't be like, there is no longer this deal where like, Hey, young kid, go sit on the pine and we'll let you know when you can get some shots up after practice. Like why was Kobe white all along? When you look at his skill set, he clearly is a lead guard that needs the ball in his hands to score or to create yet half the time when he's on the floor, he's on the floor with Zach Levine and Zach Levine's the same type of player. So how is that going to work? I would, for the benefit of the franchise, I would hope that Kobe White could turn into a number one player, or if not, pretty damn close to it. Because I think Zach Levine has shown us to this point, he is not that empty calorie scorer who can score with the best of them, but he can't play defense. And he makes mental mistakes that hurts the rest of the team. Basketball is a two-way game. You got to be able to do both ends. Zach Levine can't do that. He's proven it to us over time. So my, uh, I would invest in Kobe White, which for some reason Boylan didn't want to do. And then the third player I would mention that it seems like the lack of development has hit is Wendell Carter Jr. Like, to be honest, Wendell Carter Jr. to this point in his career, has he done anything that's that's better than like Todd Gibson when Gibson was in his prime with the Bulls? Now, I get it. He's a bit taller. He should be a better defender. But really, as the seventh pick in the draft, I don't think people are over the moon because of Wendell Carter Jr. He's just a nice player on the court. So I think a lot of this comes back to development and putting your players in the best position to win. And I don't think Boylan does that. So, Edward, to answer your question long-winded, in a long-winded fashion, I would suggest that you have to make a move and get a different coach if these are the players you're going to keep long-term. If you're going to move some of these players out, I would still suggest the coach needs to change, but then I wouldn't be as worried about the development. But clearly, if you're not, marketing has to be better. Wendell Carter has to be better. I would like to see Kobe White continue to develop the way he was at the end of last season. I think there's a lot there that the Bulls need. Yeah, I think utilizing skill set was a big problem with Wendell Carter because they – I know there was times when Wendell even looked hesitant to shoot a jump shot, but it became a point where he seemed like he was instructed never to shoot uh, outside of the paint. Um, And then even he, he's a good passer. Like you see the potential he has as a passer. A lot of times you see him make reads when guys are cutting to the basket out of nowhere, or, he'll get the rebound and, and he'll, he'll instinctively know to pass, kick it out to a guy, a shooter across, you know, the other side of the uh, of half of the court in a sense. So they never really do utilize that or develop that part. So you're right. It just, it's just mismanagement, mismanagement of talent. And just the way, like with Kobe Bryant, you miss uh, Kobe Bryant, sorry, Kobe White, that you're mismanaging talent. It's same thing with Wendell Carter. Yeah, you know, it bothered me all season that Kobe White didn't have the ball in his hands. Like, that type of skill set. And listen, Kobe White is not a finished product. But a a guard who can get off the dribble, pop and shoot, uh, get all the way to the rim, create for others, shoot from three-point, isn't that exactly the type of lead guard all teams are looking for? I mean – That's exactly what Portland has in Damian Lillard. And I'm not saying Kobe White's going to be Dame. I'm just saying, like, that's the type of player you need to run your team. We've seen it in the bubble with Devin Booker. 
The fact that the Suns this year, Monty Williams decided to put the ball in Devin Booker's hands, they are a team that it seems as if are starting to grow into their own and starting to be that talented young team that we kind of all hoped they would be. So, like, it just bothered me all year that it was like, yeah, uh, this guy over here, Zach Levine, he thinks he's great, so the shots have to go through him because he wants to tell you and all of you Bulls fans that he actually is going to play defense this year and he's going to be an all-star, and he thinks he's great. So, you know what, let's just cater to him because he's such a such a stud because he's averaging 24 per game. The funny thing is that Monty Williams was available as a coach last all season yep. when they were when they promoted Jim Boylan and I mean I, I think it's funny because now you see campaign actually looks like an NBA player and he looked like a G League player with the Bulls and it just shows you that coaching does matter an awful lot in the NBA. So well, I mean, yeah. my, look, look at it this way, right? Yeah. Uh, think about all of the random point guards that played really well under Tom Thibodeau. Mm. That's not a mistake. Like, that's what Thibodeau does well, is he coaches up point guards to run his system, and he puts people in the position to succeed. Like, that's not a – it's not shocking to me that C.J. Watson was awesome. Or that, you know, name a random point guard from those years. John Lucas. Any guy that got into that spot. John Lucas the third. Like, yes. any guy that got into that spot was really good for the Bulls. That's coaching. Yeah. And we don't have that luxury now. And I, I wanted to get back to something you, you've been saying about Zach Levine. And we, we've been talking about this probably like the last month or so on this podcast about Zach and his long-term future with the team. And he, even though he has made improvements to his game, I think he is an all-star caliber offensive player, and he can get you points like anytime you want. He's carried this Bulls team, no matter who's been on the court, who's been injured. He's been able to put up points and give them chances to win games. But it's very clear that he's not a number one guy. He may not even be a high-end number two guy. He could be like a two B or maybe just like a great number three guy. But when you look at Zach Levine right now, he's on a pretty fair contract for two more years. And if you bring Jim Boylan back, I think expectations are going to be pretty low amongst uh, Bulls fans because we don't expect to win. So what do you do with Zach Levine? Because you mentioned that Kobe White is someone that you should put the ball in his hands. And even though White and uh, Levine are fun together, I think, on the court, there is some redundancy in terms of them being very high volume players who you want to give the ball to to create so if if it was up to you is Zach Levine trade bait or is he someone that you look at and say okay if we ever improve this roster he's someone who I would want to have because if if I can get a situation where he's not the number one guy he's going to flourish so what would you do with Zach Levine right now yeah you know it's um it's fascinating to kind of look at because I feel like my opinion on Zach Levine gets misconstrued into I either hate him or I um, have something against him as a player. I, I just feel like a lot of Bulls fans don't really get what he is. He's Jamal Crawford. He's, he's Lou Williams. Um, that's who he is. And I think what could back that up is that he's been the best player on many teams. He's never won anything. And like, 
what really it comes down to is if your best player can't even get your team around sniffing the playoffs, then your best player is probably not that good as a best player. And so to answer the question, yeah, you have him under a good contract for a couple more years. He can produce scoring wise. Like ideally what would happen, I think best case scenario is if Lowry Markkinen became the better player of the two and you were able in the next year or so sign a top level free agent and then immediately Zach Levine as your third best player is pretty desirable and and you could actually do something with that. Um, but I, I just feel like when you watch Zach Levine play, unless he is going one-on-one and scoring the basketball, like tell me what else he does that's a positive. He doesn't make smart decisions with the ball. Uh, he, he takes shots and he turns the ball over at bad situations at the end of games when the game is close. Um, his defense is, is so poor that every team you go up against, they know that he's the one on the defensive end to put into the pick and roll and to confuse weak side defensively that there's going to be a lapse over the course of 24 seconds. So like, you know, there's a leak in the defense. And when you know, you have that, you already won against the, the defense every time down the floor, because they're just going to put him in pick and roll situations until he messes up something right with the communication or the assignment or whatever that might be. So like, even if you surround him with good plus a defenders, like you can't really play Kobe white and Zach Levine together in the backcourt because they're both not very good at defense. So you'd have to, and like, that's why Chris Dunn, I think is still valuable to this team because he has to play with one of the other two guys who can score the basketball. So, I mean, ideally what I would hope for is you would keep him because he, he's on a good contract. I wouldn't sign him long-term because I know we're what about a year away from him wanting new money. I wouldn't do that. So maybe at that time you're trading him around the trade deadline when you know, you're not going to re-sign him. But unfortunately, like, let me ask you guys this. If Zach Levine was an all-star player or was as good as some in Bulls see Red Nation think he is, wouldn't the Bulls be better? Yes. Wouldn't they be and, a better team? Yes and no, but I'll say this too. Um, we've had a lot of situations. For whatever re- reason, You this season you went into season thing, you're going to have Otto Porter Jr. for the full year. That was a complete ah, hole. Look, he, he would have been a too. come on. He would have been a he would have been a, a huge upgrade over anything we had at the wing. That that mm-hmm. makes a difference. I'm not. I marginal, agree with you. Marginal. I marginal. agree with you. Zach isn't isn't a number one, but I don't think it's his fault that he's been put in this situation. And to me, I, I would love to see him in a situation like in Dallas, like playing off of Luca and Prozingis, or in Denver, playing off of Jokic and. And being in a system where he doesn't have to make the decisions, like you said, because well, he's yeah, right. I mean, look at Lou Williams. Like Lou I, Williams is in the perfect situation with the Clippers. Yeah, I feel like he's better than Jamal Murray, and he would be an upgrade for Denver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jamal Murray is a better shooter, so. I like, mean, well, I, I've I, looked I also, at the percentage. Zach like, is pretty good shooter, though. He's like thirty percent on high volume. That's pretty good. Yeah, in nothing games, though. Like, like that's what's bothersome to me with Zach Levine is like, yeah, you can put up all the stats you want, but you're not playing in any games that matter ever. And, like, 
that's where, like, look at the teams that missed the playoff bubble. Are there any players on that list who are at the caliber of Zach Levine who you, like, the only guy you could look at is Bradley Beal. And people think Bradley Beal is an all-star. He is a very good player. He was having a better season than Zach Levine. The Wizards at least got invited to the bubble. Like, that's the thing. Like, look at the teams that missed the bubble. There are no players who you would say, oh, that guy's a stud. The only other name, it's Bradley Beal and it's Devin Booker. And Devin Booker showed up at the bubble and is balling out. And we know that he's legit. Everyone else from the other teams that didn't make the bubble, there are no stars to be found who are healthy, you know, because, like, the Golden State doesn't count. But, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Zach Levine is what he is. I mean, it's not going to change. I I agree. Like I said, I agree. I just think that he's – him as a third guy would be a lot better, and I think he could could still be a – I think he could still be a 20-point scorer efficient more efficient because he would be taking better shots and i think he's he's fairly efficient right now but he would be even more efficient just because he wouldn't have the ball in his hands to make the decisions and like i said if he's playing off of a guy like Jokic and playing off of luka who guys are, are really good decision makers and again the shooting would be even better because he would be taking shots in stride within an offense spotting up and instead of just, you know, going one-on-one and, and forcing a shot because he's the only guy that can create on the floor when he's playing with a bunch of guys that have no offensive game. So, so let, me, let me ask you this, Chris. Another, another hypothetical. If you switch Zach Levine and Devin Booker, how much better do you think the Bulls are? So I, I only bring that up to say because – if we look at the last three seasons of the Bulls, Zach Levine, first season, was coming back from an ACL minutes limit, was just basically just using games to shoot, and that was it. Second season, he was pretty good. Third season, I think he was pretty good as well. You look at Devin Booker, and before this season, and they still have a losing record. They're, they have, what, 31 wins right now? Before this season, they didn't sniff anything. They were a lottery team. I, I think the most wins yep. they had was... 25 games and granted if if someone if people believe Devin Booker is better than Zach Levine I won't argue Devin Booker is a a very good player and he's making big time money but it's always amused me that Devin Booker is looked at as this franchise guy and he hasn't been he's he's been the number one option on these Phoenix teams and they never have won anything and Zach Levine has been the number one option on these Bulls team and again they haven't won anything so I, I does Zach Levine, I, I think you bring up valid criticism against him, but is Zach Levine unfairly held accountable for for so many things that have gone wrong with this Bulls team that aren't really his fault? Because like, if, if Zach Levine could lift this Bulls team to even being remotely in playoff contention, I, I mean, then Zach Levine, I'm guessing, is playing like a franchise guy at that point. Like, I would re-sign him in a heartbeat if he had this Bulls team in the conversation for an eighth seed or something like that. Well, right. But he hasn't. So like, Mm. you know, the Suns have won 10 more games than the Bulls this year. They won 30. They're at 32 wins. The the Bulls are at 22. So is Devin Booker 10, 10 wins above Zach Levine? I I don't know about that. I think, I think the other thing is if you're going to question why people think Devin Booker is so much better or so much hyped compared to someone like Zach Levine is 
I think it has to do with the age. Isn't Devin Booker younger? Yeah, like way younger. Not, I, don't, I think maybe like a year. Year, might be like maybe. a year. It might be a year, a year and a half. Year. I think. I think Devin Booker's like a better. I think he's a better decision maker. And he, like probably, Devin yes. Booker's twenty three. So yeah, is he? I thought he was twenty four now, but he's no, he's twenty three, and Zach Levine's twenty five. And I know okay. that's still young, but like a part of the appeal to Devin Booker was that he was like twenty one and doing some of the things he was doing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen. I don't have stats at at the ready to to combat the why does Zach Levine get that uh, kind of notoriety and why is uh, Devin Booker looked at this like great potential and next great player in the league. My only response to that would be like Zach Levine ha- hasn't won anything and neither has Devin Booker, but at least Devin Booker is in the bubble and at least he's showing out. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like Zach Levine legitimately. Has been healthy, though. You mentioned coming back from the ACL injury. He has been healthy, and he still hasn't won anything. Mm. So, like, that's the big mis- – that's the disconnect for me is that, like, fine. If you want to celebrate meaningless stats all day, by all means, go for it. I would like to see some winning basketball games here in the city of Chicago. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like, that's that's where, like, I I know C-Red Nation just loves the pom-poms and the – the highlights with Stacey King doing the the script over the the <laughs> highlight because Zach Levine gets the slam dunks off. But like, listen, we got to win some basketball games, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely understand. That's fair. It's yeah. fair. Yeah, I, I'm not opposed to moving on from Zach Levine, and I, I think there's about like I I think right now you could make the case that you if you trade him, you do it now because or when you actually can make trades, but. Because I don't think his value is ever going to be any higher with two years left on his deal, 25 years old, coming off another good season. I mean, I don't think you're going to get anything for him if you wait another year. But I, I, I think that you make a good point that if they are going to keep Jim Boylan this year, and I'm not saying trade Zach Levine because of Jim Boylan. I'm simply saying that if they're going to bring this team back, they need to make it make sense. And I'm not sure how you make it make sense if Kobe White and Zach Levine are both two high volume guys, and then you still have Lowry Markkinen who also needs shots, and then you still want—I don't know—it it just feels like a lot of a lot of conflict to me. Yeah, and I, I need more defense. Yeah. I need some more defense, you know, like, and that's where you know Lowry Markkinen, Zach Levine, Kobe White all on the court together—that's tough. That's a tough sell. And that's a lot. That's a lot to ask out of Wendell Carter or Gafford or whoever is playing that backline defense. Like, and that's where I wouldn't move someone like Chris Dunn and why he has such great value for the team is because you need a guy who can stabilize the team when they go through a drought where they're giving up buckets left and right, and people are looking around and Zach Levine's like, okay, well I'll just shoot from forty feet out because I'm an all star. It's like you like, like that's where. I feel like I get annoyed with some of the conversation around the Chicago Bulls because it seems like every Bulls fan thinks every Bulls player is this phenomenal talent. And it's like, yeah, there's some guys that have talent here, but there's also a reason why they continue to lose. You can bash Jim Boylan all you want, and we did plenty on this podcast, but then we also have to look in the mirror and realize that coaches don't change the game in the NBA. It's about the players on the court. 
And if the players on the court aren't taking the accountability to be better on defense and to be better in crunch time, they ain't going to win anything anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think there's a, a very happy gray area where you can say that Jim Boylan is very clearly not a good NBA head coach. But at the same time, if you have this core of players who has not won anything together over three years, they can play better. They can be developed better, but they are probably not the core of a future title contender. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's switch gears here really quick. I do want to get your thoughts on the NBA bubble and the playoffs. There's been some exciting games we've seen, obviously, Luka being Luka, doing crazy things out there. We've seen the fun little back and forth with Damian Lillard, Paul George, Pat Beverly. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, – like we've talked plenty about right now with Devin Booker, but the Suns have been very exciting, uh, undefeated so far, I believe, in the bubble. Uh, what has your biggest takeaway been? Uh, seeing this restart happen? My biggest takeaway is that sports in a bubble with testing works, right? Like we spent, we spent months worrying about, could it happen? Could they test? Could everyone be safe? And then on top of it, like a side conversation to that was, would we get basketball? We would want to watch. Would we get sports in this new world? Would people enjoy this bubble setting of sports? And the answer is, yeah, because when there's competition and the people on the court or the field or the diamond actually care about what they're doing, sports are awesome. So like if you get it to a bubble and you make sure everyone's safe, like guys, these NBA games have been awesome. And like who would have saw TJ Warren coming to the bubble and like totally revamping his game? I saw, I was reading something earlier today that like, in the regular season, he was only attempting three three-point shots per game. Now he's attempting like 7.6. And a part of that is not only he's making three-point shots now when he was against trying to shoot from deep previously, but now that has opened up the rest of his game, his ability to get to the rim and to shoot from the mid-range. So like things like that I think are so cool because two months ago we were co- having conversations about whether or not live sports could actually take place and if it would be good live sports. And I think what the NBA bubble has shown us is that if you have the right testing protocols and you have everything in place and you do create a bubble, we can have really fun live sports. And I think the NBA playoffs are going to be awesome. I love what I've seen here in these final regular seeding, regular season seeding games. Uh, It's been a lot of fun and, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the playoffs have to offer. You mentioned TJ Warren. Do you think there's room for unpredictability in this upcoming postseason? Because if you look around the league, I mean, last night the Brooklyn Nets whooped up on the Clippers. I mean, granted, Paul George didn't play. But I mean, we've seen a lot of weird things. TJ Warren's gone off. Michael Porter Jr.'s gone off. Uh, The Lakers have struggled. The Clippers have looked so-so at times. Uh, the Suns haven't lost a game in the bubble so far. The Blazers got uh, Nurkic back, and the Blazers look like a team that I would not want to face in the first round if I'm a playoff team with Dame and uh, Gary Trent has been playing well, McCullum, Nurkic, Whiteside. They look like a really good team. So do you think that what happened during the NBA regular season, not not everything needs to be dismissed, but do you think that what's happening in the bubble right now is going to be more important for determining 
what happens in the playoffs and and as a, as a result of that do you think we're going to get something like unpredictable where like a dark horse team comes out of nowhere and makes a run like wh- what do you think about that um i can see it both ways uh on one hand i would respond by saying you know look at the lakers and the games that they're playing right now don't matter mm. so the fact that they're 2 and 4 in the bubble does it really matter you know what i'm saying like so, like, even though they're losing games at the moment or you see uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they're two and three in the bubble, like, these games do not matter for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, if you're a Miami Heat fan, you know, you would like them to be better than two and three, but then you could respond by saying, yeah, Jimmy Butler hasn't really played much the last couple of games uh, and kind of go back and forth. And then on the flip side, I could make a case that Toronto and Indiana both playing so well in the bubble and teams like the Houston Rockets, that is kind of leading me to believe that this bubble situation and and including Phoenix too, if they find a way in, like the bubble just creates the situation because there's no home court that like anyone can win. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, like a team like Milwaukee, they're really going to be penalized over the fact that there is no home court because up there in Milwaukee and the vibe that they have outside of the stadium and what they've been building for years now with Giannis and this young team, they were the best team in the NBA. Like you guys know, if this was a normal year, the first couple weeks of June, Milwaukee, Wisconsin would have been hopping because of how excited people would be for Bucks basketball. They have no home court anymore. Or, heck, go back to last year in Toronto, in Jurassic Park, in the conference finals, and in the NBA finals. Like, Toronto had a great showing of fans inside and outside of the stadium. Like, that stuff matters. We won't have it. Then I would say, okay, on the other side, Houston, I mentioned, has already played well in the bubble. You guys ever watch a Houston Rockets game on League Pass? That crowd doesn't even show up with three minutes left in the first quarter. It's just a dead-ass crowd. Mm. And it's a dead-ass arena. So, like, if you look at the Rockets, the fact that they don't have any home court advantage probably doesn't matter. Same with the Clippers. I mean, have you guys ever heard of a Los Angeles Clippers home court advantage? No. They don't, <laughs> oh, yeah. they don't care. You know, so I could see it playing a role in the fact that it may hurt teams that could have had an advantage. Now, as you guys both know as as well as I do, it's basketball. So the talent usually wins out and the better teams usually win. So if the Bucs continue on and they find a way to win it, I wouldn't be surprised. But I know that it would have been a hell of a party to watch the Bucs host NBA Finals games. Yep. My theory actually has been kind of that without this being a regular playoff atmosphere because there's not going to be fans in the stands, um, I feel like role players will play better um, and having yeah. depth, having that depth, a lot of these teams might have might play an advantage where you can maybe sit starters a little longer if you need to in a long seven game series. And a team like Milwaukee may end up being taking advantage of it because they have a lot of depth team like Toronto may be able to take advantage of that because they have that extra depth. So it'll be interesting in that regard for me. Yeah, it. I, I've I've gotten a lot of amusement just about 
how the players are moving on this court. I mean, especially with the they're not having there's not fans there. So you're seeing a lot of players stepping out of bounds. And some people have had these theories that some players just perform better when there's not fans. Like it's just you feel like you're just kind of playing pickup. Like it's it's just more of your bag. So maybe I mean, I'm not going to take away from T.J. Warren, but that could be contributing to you know, what he's been doing in the bubble when he's looking like a damn MVP candidate. But yeah, all of this is really, really exciting so far. And I'm interested to see what happens in the uh, playoffs. Chris, this has been a really, really fun conversation. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and where they can hear you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bleck. Uh, you can hear me tomorrow morning with Cap and Company from 9 to noon on ESPN 1000. And then uh, I host my own show on Sunday mornings, 8 to 10 a.m. on ESPN 1000. You can download the ESPN Chicago app, find all the podcasts right there on the ESPN Chicago app. All right. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for joining us. Salim, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, five thoughts. It was a pleasure having Chris. Like I said, it was very exciting to uh, meet him again and – or not again, but for the first time. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good conversation. Looking forward to see how the playoffs end. And just also want to say thought, thoughts to everyone in Chicago and the city right now. I know there's a lot of crazy things going on, and I'm hoping our listeners and everyone else, whoever uh, who's living out there, uh, they can stay safe. No doubt. Stay safe. Stay strong. That concludes this. Salim, keep calling. <laughs> keep calling the show. You're awesome. I will. Man. I will. I gotta. I, I like to have a reason to call because sometimes I'll like I'll call and then it'll be like, that yeah, was a stupid call. It was a waste of time. But I want to no, I, I like to have a- no stupid calls. All calls are welcome. You know that. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio. As always, you can check out our past shows on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will catch you later, Bulls fans.